Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Trojan fans, welcome to the Peristyle Podcast on a Monday. Today we're going to talk with Coach Harvey Hyde about the USC Spring Scrimmage, about hiring Lynn Swan as the new athletic director. Lots of your questions to get to. And speaking of, if you have any questions for us, drop us an email, podcast at uscfootball.com. That's the email address. Or you can leave us a voicemail. Just give us a call, 641-715-3900, extension 816 646, you can leave a voicemail that way or go to our website, peristylepodcast.com. Leave a voicemail right from your computer, your iPad, your phone. You can do all of that. I guess on your phone, on the website, you can do that too. Yeah, so all that stuff on peristylepodcast.com. If you want to subscribe on iTunes, itunes.com slash peristylepodcast. You can also leave feedback and a positive rating. We do appreciate all of that. And want to bring in the coach, follow him on Twitter at Coach Harvey Hyde. Coach, what's going on, sir? How are you? Well, spring practice is done, and we're looking forward to Alabama. And uh, I think there's a lot to uh, happen between now and the first game of the 2016 season. I had a chance to watch, I don't know if how many people did, the uh, Alabama spring game, and then uh, immediately followed by watching the USC spring game. But it was great to see Alabama, Georgia. It was great to see... LSU, it was great to see Tennessee, all of the, uh, Michigan a couple of weeks ago, their spring games, because that gives you a pretty good comparison of what you expect to see at USC, but you like to think USC is within that same power level of what those schools are I just mentioned. So uh, I wanted to do that purposely so that I could constructively uh, discuss the USC spring practice uh, entirely, the ones uh uh, the practices I was at, which were several, and also the two scrimmages in the Coliseum that I attended as far as the facilities, the friends, the people, the weather, and everything uh, above that we need to talk about today. Well, Coach, we're going to talk about all of that and more, and we wanted to thank our sponsor, Southern California Tickets. Go to sctickets.com. Give them a call at 1-800-888-7287. Kings uh, struggling a little bit in the first round of the playoffs. We'll see if they're able to bounce back. But you got Dodgers, Angels, Clippers, playoff stuff, all kinds of stuff going on here in Southern California or across the country. Go to sctickets.com, and they'll hook you up. All right, so we didn't get to do a show last week. I was going to do a show with Dan Weber, and then some crazy news broke where Lynn Swan was named the athletic director. So that kind of put us pretty busy for the rest of the week. We didn't have a chance to jump on and and record a podcast with Dan. So we're going to get him on this week. Of course, talk about the spring game and talk about Lynn Swan being hired and all that. We have a lot of questions built up from from Dan because we haven't had him on the last couple of weeks. We have questions for you too, Coach. But before we get into that, I guess a couple of topics. The first one, I wanted to get your reaction to uh, Lynn Swan being named the athletic director, kind of get your thoughts on that. And then afterwards, we can kind of go into what you thought on the spring, you know, the football game or the big football practice, whatever you want to call it. But first, maybe uh, Lynn Swan's thoughts, Coach. Well, uh, I was shocked when they released it uh, last Thursday. I really was. It was Kobe's last day, uh, as far as her last game, I should say. Uh, there was 
couple of other events that were happening. And, oh, I think it was a Dodgers home opener. I don't remember all the different events that happened, but on a Thursday afternoon, we get a release saying that Lynn Swan has been named the athletic director at USC. So it sort of was shocking uh, news. It wasn't something that everybody was looking forward to hearing right now. Uh, but uh, as the dust has settled, and I've had a chance to think about it, his career, I, I've met him before, uh, listening to him talk at his press conference, listening to him on radio interviews, uh, seeing him in person, listening to him at the spring game, talk to the audience or the fans that were there. Uh, I think it was a good choice. I think it was uh, a popular choice. Let me put it to you that way, but there's name recognition to who Lynn Swan is as far as a Trojan. Now, I want to mention this as we go along, that Steve Lopes, to me, was a very popular choice. I think Steve Lopes would have been an excellent athletic director, and I think the department needs Steve Lopes, and I think Lynn Swan has made that uh, uh, strong, that strong comment in his uh, opening press conference, and also on every interview I've heard him do, he has mentioned Steve Lopes as far as recognizing the value of him and the loyalty that he's had over the number of years that he's been the athletic director. And I could have been very happy with Steve Lopes being the athletic director at USC. But uh, Lynn Swan uh, comes. He's a Trojan. He's done just about all you need to do in the area of being a Trojan, an NFL player, a Hall of Famer in both the college and NFL Hall of Fame, and all of the above. And I think he'll be a great leader. He's sensible. He's been on many boards. Uh, he knows business. Everything he's saying is it's my job to support the people who are here. And I like all of the above when he says those type of things. And he's been an athlete. So being an athlete and, and at that level, he knows the difficulty of competing and also competing in the classroom and all of the above and the, the pressures that are put on student athletes uh, throughout the athletic department. I think that he's a winner. And I think that he's going to demand winning. It's the only thing he's ever experienced. And uh, I think that's one reason he came to USC, because of the pride he has in the USC uh, tradition, the university, and all of the above. He is a child, I believe. He has a child or two that are attending uh, USC. And uh, I think he'll, he'll be a perfect athletic director with it. I think there are other great candidates, but I think that Right now, in this type of a situation, to, to bring in someone who is a Trojan, someone that is recognized, someone who's accomplished the goals of, uh, of, of what he has, and uh, then accept Steve Lopes. I'm sure Steve Lopes is disappointed. Uh, I saw him on the practice field and spoke with him briefly. Ryan, I think you were there with me. Uh, I think he's... he's uh, uh, disappointed. I would say he's disappointed. I would be too. And I think for me to shade it any other way would be ridiculous when you have a chance to be that type of, uh, of dream come true. But I think he's a loyal Trojan. I think he'll be right there for Lynn Swan. I think he'll do a great job. And we'll wait and see just what his leadership brings. But I think he's going to demand windy, winning. And I think that he's a uh, uh, a real Trojan. So I think we'll move forward with that. And I'm glad they named it now. And I'm glad he has a chance to get started. Yeah. He, uh, he's getting going right away. So it should be interesting, you know, July 1st, but you know, he's been out there the last couple of practices. So it's been a little good to see uh, Lynn Swan, who was a childhood idol of mine growing up a Pittsburgh Steeler fan. Um, 
it was a big deal for me. I mean, I, I remember in grade school drawing pictures of him, coach, when we were, you know, watching the the Steelers and they were going to Super Bowls in the seventies. Like they were, you know, they won four Super Bowls when I was a kid. So that's kind of like ingrained in your head. So yeah, I was got to follow him and um, it was kind of, you know, really interesting. So it, no, you know, no administrative experience whatsoever, obviously, but um, athletic administration. So that's, that's going to be the challenge, but you know, Max Nakia said he's a leader and um, you know, he's trusts his leadership skills. And so we'll see, you know, we, he hasn't hired or fired coaches before. Um, so that'll be, you know, obviously something you got to kind of learn as you go, but he, he said he's going to rely on a lot of the people that are there like Steve Lopes mentioned him specifically. So, uh, should be really interesting. Now the, the spring game itself, uh, I know you're a, a fan of full on game, you know, tackling just ones, twos go, you know, going at each other. It's not exactly what, uh, was delivered on Saturday in the Coliseum. I, you know, I thought the fans kind of enjoyed you know, what they saw out there, but just wanted to get your thoughts, coach, because uh, it, it wasn't, and Clay Helton said this during the week with the lack of defensive line depth and really not a lot of guys in the secondary for that second unit. I mean, we, we watched the secondary out there, coach, for the second defense, and you had a Janie Harris who was, a, you know, a receiver playing corner. You had a true freshman, uh, you know, playing, you know, the opposite corner, and basically what everyone else is walk on. So they didn't have a lot of depth there and certainly on the defensive line too. Um, and, and that was the reason why Clay Helton give for not uh, having like a full on blown out scrimmage. But what did you think about what they did put out there? Well, I, you know, I just want to clarify this as uh, far as the way I analyze, uh, Ryan, you do yours differently. Uh, so does the Dan Weber. So does the newspaper media, they look at it and read about what they say and what coach Helton says. And uh, then they form their opinion and write it. I do it as a coach. I do it as what I saw this spring, what I wanted to accomplish this spring, what I saw on Saturday, compared to what other schools are and where they are as far as where we are, as far as the type of schools we have to beat on our schedule to be able to be successful. And that's the way I'll report it today when I look at it and, and, and tell you, first of all, I love the national anthem. T. Martin's wife sang it, and I thought she sang it the way it's supposed to be sung. I don't know how many people were there that heard it, but if you were there, I hope you agree with me. I was very impressed with that. It started it all off. So I want to make sure that everybody understands that. I want to make sure I was very, very excited about the restrooms being open, not that just for myself, but for everyone. They had the restrooms open. If you remember the first scrimmage of the year, we had one bathroom open. So uh, maybe someone listened to the podcast and decided that 23,000 people that were reportedly there had an opportunity to relieve themselves. Excuse me for being rude. <laughs> But I, but I think that is something that is important as far as the facilities, the entrance, the convenience for the fans that come, the traffic control, and the whole package. I think it's very, very important for when fans come to a game or a scrimmage or any university event that they're treated properly, that they enter the stadium, that they're greeted, that they make, that they make you feel at home and you're excited about what you see not only as the scrimmage or the game itself, but as the environment that you sit in. I think that's very, very important. Now, as far as the other things uh, of the scrimmage, which is the actual game itself, there's a lot of things that we can get into here. First of all, I was disappointed that it wasn't a game. I know there's lack of lack of defensive linemen or lack of secondary or whatever. But, it's a lot, but there's a lot of other things you try to accomplish in a spring setting other than just, you know, uh, scrimmaging uh, 
down distance situations, uh, red zone, this zone, that zone, and all the other things you want to see where you are compared with other programs that I just mentioned in the country. Now you say lack of depth at the defensive line, and you look at it and you say, why is there lack of depth at the defensive line when you only lost maybe one or two defensive linemen? Well, that's because I think in the past the the numbering of who you recruited and the numbers of receivers and the numbers of defensive linemen, you should never let that or allow that to get out of, of line as far as the numbers of all the positions. You have a lot of offensive linemen. You have a lot of receivers. You have the necessary linebackers. But what happened to the defensive line? Was there the emphasis there that people understand it should be there in order to be able to practice, get better, and be able to maintain the numbers that you have at positions? And over the past couple of years, uh, maybe that's been a priority, and maybe they just haven't gotten those players. But that's got to become a priority, especially this coming year in 2017's recruiting class. And again, I'm seeing receivers commit and and, uh, athletes commit, but I want to see defensive linemen commit. I mean, you win the line, you win the battle on the line of scrimmage, and you got got to be able to have those type of players to play. So the first thing I'm looking at why are the numbers low, where it hurts the entire team when you can't have a spring game. The whole team, not just the defensive linemen, and you're worried about injury, especially when Noah Jefferson gets hurt on the first play. You say, oh, now now what's going to happen? Well, uh, luckily, it was not the type of injury that could keep him out of the season for this next year. He'll be all right. Maybe if it was a real game, he may have been able to go back in and play, but there's no reason to doing that on Saturday. So that's the first thing. I'm a coach now looking at this, not a fan. So I'm saying by not having the defensive linemen, I don't think the entire team could progress on the way you're supposed to progress during a spring game. While when all the other spring games I saw, and I think most of you saw if you followed spring football like I do, and Ryan, I'm assuming you do, had full games, clock running, timeouts, delay of games, full officials, all coaches on the sideline except for the head coach as far as standing in the background, uh, watching the, the game so everybody knows who the head coach is, uh, uh, doing a, a regular full-fledged scrimmage, punting game, not returning the punts, obviously, but punt team, make sure you get 11 guys out there on the punt team. Field goal, make sure you get 11 guys out there in the field goal uh, attempt uh, to make sure that that you got 11 guys out there that are alert during the game. Field communications between your coaches and players. Delay a game. Are we getting the players in and out of the game in time? Are they lining up in the right formation? Are we doing what we're supposed to do? All of the things that make you a better football team in the fall, so you've already had one of those game-type experiences. So that is what I look at as far as when I go and I watch this. And then I also watch the football part of it as far as entirely. Are USC fans a football environment completely, or must they be entertained by punt return or catches with students or whoever are out there, fans on the field, catching punts and uh, taking time away from the game itself, rolling around in plastic balls and all this and that? I don't go there for that. Now, maybe everybody else goes there for that. It's fun. But I I don't know if that's really what spring, uh, the final game of spring is supposed to be. Uh, 
maybe that's the new philosophy. But it's not at other schools that you have to play and other schools that you have to beat, and especially when you know that you're opening against Notre Dame, who had a full-fledged scrimmage game, Alabama in the first game. Now, Alabama's offense was not that productive, but it put them in a position where the score was 6-3. to three. But as Nick Saban said at the end of the uh, spring game, he says, is our offense not very good or is our defense that good? Uh, so those are the things you have to figure out during the period of time between now and your opening game of the year. I think that also that when you set the scrimmage up for the offense to be successful, I think that's important that, you know, you're successful, but I don't think you should put the defense at a, a level of where they're already depleted in the defensive line, where they're not stunning and they're running basic coverages so that the offense can get these impressive stats as far as the touchdown passes that they're thrown and the rushing game. And then the, the defense, uh, really with the lack of defensive interior linemen, not blitzing or studying. And, and because basically that's what his defense is. It's an attacking type of defense. So I think you have to allow him to get better too. That's him. That's uh, Clancy and the defensive portion of the team. And if one dominates the other, that's fine. Then you know exactly what areas you need to work on. But to keep the defense at just a basic type of look that they don't play and a certain coverage or one or two that they they like to come after you and play a lot of man, and maybe they didn't have the people in the secondary, but work on what you do. And if you get beat, you get beat, but at least you're getting beat doing what you do. So I maybe if uh, everyone disagrees with me, that's fine. I'm not trying to be negative. I'm trying to be realistic on what you saw Saturday and what I saw Saturday and what I would look at as a head football coach as far as did we battle evenly. It was it an evenly matched event where I allowed the defense to do what they do as the offense did what they did. So I look at all of those things and try to see exactly what's happened. Now on the positive side, I thought uh, Juju uh, uh, Schuster is, is – there's no, there's no question that he's a great receiver, uh, and he demonstrates that, but I like to see him not hot dog as much. I think he hot dogs too much after making a play. Like If he'd have made that great catch for the touchdown over the middle and spiked the ball against Alabama, that's a 15-yard penalty. No one talks about that. That's a 15-yard penalty. I would have at that time set him on the bench. Say, you're not going to play that type of football. People know you're a player. Don't hot dog it out here. We would have been kicking off from, what, the 15-yard line or some darn thing and giving Alabama great field position. The only way you learn those things is by giving a message to the kids. We're not going to tolerate that type of stuff. I think that uh, uh, the, the running game was good as far as uh, the offensive line attacking. They got off the ball pretty good. Uh uh, I was happy to see Justin Davis have the type of run in Jones. I thought he ran really well, and Dominic too. Uh, I like to see it more dominated with the run in the past. I didn't want to see stats with the quarterback. I want to, if you can run the football, run the football, run the football, pound the football, and the pass will become better. And you gain a lot of identity from that. I'm still not sure if the offense has an identity. You could have established a running type of identity because there was not much penetration. On the defensive side of the football, they did stop the offense a few times by penetration or good plays. And I think that the defense had a few weaknesses at certain positions. I'm not going to 
single that out, where if you run at certain people, you're going to get yards. Some people are having problems getting off blocks. And I think if you watched the, the game closely, you would know exactly what positions they were. So uh, uh, play-action pass uh, uh, was part of the scrimmage. Uh, I'd like to see them run more north and south and vertical before the backs take off. You hear me always talk about that. Uh, they did throw a pass to uh, a tight end for a touchdown. People are talking about them throwing the, the ball a lot to the tight ends. I still don't think they throw the ball a lot to the tight ends. People are going crazy about all the great catches and plays that are going to the tight end. I'd like someone to count them up for me and tell me how many actual passes did do that. I think the the passing itself, and I'm sorry to ramble on, but I'm going to give you a summary at the beginning of this, and if we have to go a little bit longer, we will. And if, you have, if you're listening, you have to listen in halves. You might have to do that. <laughs> but I, I want to tell you, I think that uh, the quarterbacks on some passes have floated the ball. I think Max floated the ball on the touchdown pass to Darius Rogers, uh, And I think that uh, – uh, the secondary did help make the quarterbacks look better with no pass rush on them. They really weren't rushed. And uh, I thought uh, Galen Green had a great scrimmage, too. If, 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 I think he's a dangerous player. And if anything, Green moved into the rotation as far as the being the serious thought of being a, an outstanding football player. And like any other program, you put him in the Mountain West Conference, you put him at UNLV or somewhere, Green's a great, great type of exciting football player and really would be a dangerous player, number 10 if you didn't know which one that was out there when you were there. So I think it was, uh, those are the things I saw as far as the snapping now, as far as uh, Nick Fowler was concerned, I think he's playing good, but you got to get the snaps down. you got to get better snaps to the quarterback because uh, the timing is off. If you notice, the quarterback was reaching for balls at times, and, and you can't do that. You've got to have great timing on routes and handing off balls so you get nice fakes and so on. So I think that was something that needs to be worked on with pressure more on the nose of a center snapping the ball with him having to get off and block somebody all the time during practice. So those are the basic things I saw. I missed the fullback in the backfield. I think sometimes you've got to have fullbacks in the backfield, two-back sets, and uh, be a power type of team where the fullback does carry the ball. And uh, you, uh, if you notice, there wasn't many counter plays. Maybe they didn't want to do any counterplays, possibly save some as far as – I know in the morning the USC coaches had to watch the Alabama scrimmage, and I know in the afternoon if anybody in the South could pick up the Pac-12 network, they were able to watch the USC scrimmage. Was, uh, when you open with someone, you normally don't exchange spring films, but you can get it all on television. So I think real quickly as far as uh, that being an observation, I think that that's where I'd look at it. All right, Coach. Uh, good opening. Well, uh, opening rant on the uh, well, yeah, the spring game. You, you can know? call it that. Yeah, yep. it was but good. I, but I just want to tell you before we get into questions, the things I've been reading and everything are great, positive things, which I I love Dan Weber's thing. But I'm mine's completely off the cuff. Mine isn't that type of thing. Just asking. Mine is what I saw as a coach, and I was taking notes that I would go back and say, "Hey, this is what we have to do." Yet I know it was set up to be that way because I'm the one as a head coach to set up the way the scrimmage was supposed to be. But I would much rather have had a game type of situation like everybody else. And I would look at the areas of why we couldn't have that. And I would say, why are we in this position? We better correct it because next year we don't want it to be like this. Because, uh, funny, the, uh, 
you saw a lot of the SEC, uh, the SEC network, ESPNU. They had a lot of the uh, SEC spring games on. Apparently, the Alabama spring game got a 0.6 rating, like overnight rating, which was higher than any of the NHL playoff hockey games. Wow, which is just a little crazy. I don't know what that says about college football or hockey or what, but uh, well, let's jump into the questions, Coach. And well, Tark, how about we'll, the attendance at those games? Did you see the attendance? Yeah, hundred nine thousand for Ohio State. Like, I mean, you saw Saturday at USC. It was it was an absolutely gorgeous day, just beautiful. Like, if they, there's no way you get. I mean, it's just Los Angeles. You're not going to get that, um, no matter what, no matter how good the team is or what. But for a spring game, that I thought that was kind of ridiculous. Yep, and then also, uh, how about uh, Alabama ninety three thousand? No, ninety thousand. Uh, Georgia ninety three thousand. Uh, the attendance of these games, and I know it's a little bit of a different situation. I mean, they don't have uh, the activities that other people have, as far as we do in Southern California, with all the events happening and games happening and playoffs happening with the Clippers and gigs and all of that stuff going on. But uh, they take football serious. And uh, I think that's uh, what everybody notices when you when you compare those type of stats. Yeah. Well, let's, okay, let's jump in. You you touched on a lot of different topics, and luckily we have questions kind of going more specific on a lot of those. Quarterback talk is a big deal. They want to know, you know, about what's going on with the quarterback. So Clay Helton, basically, for if you didn't see uh, or read on uscfootball.com, um, Clay Helton was a little confusing about his comments um, during the week. Uh you know, thinking he was going to name a starter after spring or whatever. So he basically said that he's going to look at the film and on Monday, which is today, he's going to make a decision if there's a large enough gap where he could name somebody today or they're going to keep it going. And then probably two weeks into fall camp, he's not going to let it go into the season. Uh, he saw that, you know, that that happened before with Cody Kessler and Max Wittick was not positive. So they're going to, he's going to make the decision today, coach. Um, so Tark wrote in and said, it is, a, is it a sign of indecisiveness on the part of Clay Helton to let the co- quarterback competition go on into the fall? No, I, I don't know what it is uh, because I have a tough time thinking about it. You know, you, you know what Max Brown is and who Max Brown is. You've had him two and a half years. Uh, he's been in a, a spring camp. He's been in the fall games he'd been in not games with you know redshirted spring ball what is this his third spring practice ryan i think it's his third spring practice isn't it uh, it's his third yeah yeah for for max brown yeah it's his fourth actually because he came in as an early okay. enrollee yeah. so this is his fourth, fourth time. spring yeah. yeah look at that look at that fourth spring practice and you should really be able to evaluate uh him by now as far as the type of player that's going to be your starter not your not a backup or competing. I think Sam Darnold uh, forced the issue by having a pretty good spring and uh, sort of, uh, you know, uh, pushed, uh, pushed Max and, and, uh, and has made it a a tough decision. But I think the sooner you can make that decision, the better you are. And, and uh, the reason I tell you this folks is because when you get off the bat, bat, uh, the bus uh, down in, Dallas, you want a guy that uh, has uh, been the leader of the team, a guy that you have confidence in, and you're ready to go. Who's the leader of the offense right now when you look out there? Who Who is the guy that the players look at? Is it Juju Smister, or Schuster? Maybe. 
But who's the guy that they're going to look at and have the confidence in that, hey, we're going to have a great day today, and who makes it all happen? It's your quarterback. So you've got to make a decision on who this person is going to be. The sooner, the better. I don't think after watching that that he'll name a starter. Now, it might surprise me if he does, and I, I think it's great if he does, okay? But uh, you've got to dip this done as soon as you can. Yet you don't want to run off a player either because you make a decision and uh, you're not sure. The, the way, if you really want to get the honest answer, the real way if you want to get the honest answer, you take a vote of the offensive players. Offensive players know who the best player is, and you get an honest answer. Coaches sometimes have to put a little bit more of a political uh, viewpoint on this, but you don't want to run Max off, and, and you want to keep everybody happy, and you've got to have two great quarterbacks, which is great to have two great quarterbacks. So you have to be handling this a little bit different. You might want to name one of them right now, but you really can't do that because of the politics and what you have to do as far as with the quarterback position. But I know Clay Helton wants to name a quarterback. I know he does because he knows the importance of running the offense. Who that is, I'm not going to guess on who that might be, but I would say I can say this, that if you've been around somebody for two and a half years, you know his potential, you know if he's going to be the guy, and you know if he should be the guy. You should be able to say, it's Max Brown. Now, if you can't say that, then there's some doubt for some reason, and you might be putting off where you might be thinking something else. So uh, I'm sort of uh, not second-guessing, but I'm really concerned on just what is happening as far as is it a political decision, why it's not being named, or is it because you really have both of these uh, players uh, evenly uh, uh, evaluated. So we'll see what happens, and if he does name one today, if not, uh, I'm going to predict and next Monday we'll know. I'm going to predict that he's not going to name a starter. Okay, Coach, that's good stuff. Um, yeah, I, I think he's going to wait, too. I think if, you know, just watching film from the spring game, I don't think you're going to see Sam Darnold jump way ahead or Max Brown jump way ahead. So I, I can't see that being a possibility. So my guess is we're going to wait till fall camp, too. Um, all right, let's see. We have uh, G.E. McCulley. He says, first... Am I the only one who noticed the lack of blitzing by the defense during the scrimmage? I believe it was an effort to make the offense, especially the offensive line, look better for the fans and to not show anything to Alabama before they play. Um, Secondly, Alabama needs a quarterback badly after seeing their spring game, and Max Brown would seem like a good fit. Is Clancy dragging his feet in naming a starter for this reason and or because Sam just had a better quote-unquote game on Saturday? So we kind of talked about the quarterback stuff, but there – that possibility of him transferring because he's graduating is always out there, Coach. But maybe talk about the blitzing and then uh, that potential with Max Brown. Yeah, we, we talked about that earlier in the opening segment, but again, I'll review it real quickly for you. Yeah, you took away a, a, a big part of the defensive philosophy of Clancy Pettigrass when you take away the blitzing, but they're a penetrating type of defense. So you really, they're playing at what you might call a half of a loaded gun, and while the offense had everything going for them, it was more or less a uh, a, a day that to uh, try to make the offense shine, where the defense uh, has dominated at times during the spring, and I, I don't know if they didn't want them to di- di- dominate or blitz or so on, or maybe it was because they didn't want to show Alabama what they're doing, but he's not going to change that much from what he did in 2013. Now, you have a philosophy, and you do what you do, and They'll be looking at all of the films that 
Coach, uh, Coach uh, Clancy Pendergrass has done uh, to be able to pick up any type of, and they'll prepare for all of that. Uh, I think that the, it was a basic uh, type of scrimmage. I didn't see anything real fancy that USC did, too, except for that one reverse on the second play or third play of the game that they ran and made it some pretty good yards on. Uh, they had some thud periods, too, in there that turned into, not thud, but turned into tackling. It's pretty hard to thud on a spring game when everybody's adrenaline is up. But, uh, uh, you know, what, what can I say? Uh, I think that the it was an offensive day. Uh, the defense did uh, play uh, at a level of where they had half of their uh, arsenal taken away from them. And, yeah, I have to agree with the, uh, the caller that uh, was not uh, probably uh, what everything that uh, the defensive had to offer and wanted to do, but they had to do it uh, because the head coach probably wanted it that way. Um, and it, you, you want to comment on the the whole Max Brown potentially transferring, and and that that comes into play if you were a coach and you knew a quarterback if you didn't name him the starter could transfer. I know they didn't have the graduate rules back when you coached, but I mean that's something you have to take into consideration too. I would assume. Yeah, that's why I said the political part of it. I, I meant that, but didn't want to talk about that. But if you're thinking about Sam Darnold possibly being the best, you're certainly not going to mention it now. Because Max Brown can say, well, listen, I've been here two and a half years, and if you don't think I'm the starter and I'm the guy now, then why don't you let Sam just be it, and I'll just find me another place. And he could. And you mentioned Alabama and places like that. At Lane Kiffin knows who he is. And so do other schools in the country. He could go and fit into and be a great player. Because I think – Knowing, first of all, knowing when you're the number one guy, it, it takes the pressure off of you, and you really do perform better when you're not competing every single day, every single day. That's a lot of pressure on you. You want to be the guy. So you want to be the guy that everybody looks up to, and you take over the offense, and you run the offense, and you know that you don't have to worry about every single thing, every single minute, as far as, you know, being... Uh, looked at i mean you want to be a player you want to be an athlete you want to make it happen like you've always made it all your life that's why you came to usc i was recruited to come here because supposedly i do things right so yeah i think that's a big portion of it too uh i think they're afraid at, at this time to make an announcement uh but i think sam darnold would understand and say that hey max it's his opportunity it's his job, like I said at the beginning of spring. I said it on this show. I would have said it's Max's job to have. And if he loses it, he loses it. Let him play. Let him be the leader and let everybody understand that he's our quarterback. Okay? This this uh, this process right now, they went to just put pressure on him more than Sam Darnold. Sam Darnold didn't have any pressure on him. He, he's, you know, he's he knows where he is, but... Max has got pressure on him on every single thing he does. So I don't think he'll perform as well knowing that that pressure's there. And uh, I, I don't know. It's, it's a very political type of situation. And uh, I don't want to say it this way, but uh, but I hope they're not naming him just to keep him, not naming him just to keep him there because they want Sam to be the guy. If Sam's a guy, Sam's a guy. But you got to, you know, be careful on how you do that. All right, Coach, let's, uh, we got Neil in Manila wrote in. Now, he, he put a whole bunch of questions in there, some we've talked about, but I'll give you a couple of them um, that he wrote in. Uh, he wants to know about uh, 
he said Rojo and the other backs, if they improved on their blocking and catching, that's the first thing. Well, the first part of it is, as far as the blocking portion of it, we didn't have a chance to see much of that on Saturday because there weren't any blitzes where backs have to step up in there and uh, take on a linebacker or take on somebody. So basically most of the scrimmage, they were free and they could release or they could go over the middle or they could swing or whatever they had to do because they didn't have much of a blocking responsibility. I know that it, if you remember at the beginning of spring, the number one thing I said the backs had to learn was pass blocking. I thought their pass blocking a year ago wasn't very good at all. Couldn't pick up blitzes, turned their shoulders, didn't step in their square, got knocked backwards. So, you know, they they needed to work on that, and I think they worked on that in practice. But again, we didn't have that opportunity to see Saturday on just how well it was. Whether somebody's coming, I pick them up. If they're not, uh, if they're not coming, then I go into my route and uh, see what I've got to do or unless I'm the hot receiver and they're going to throw the ball to me if my guy's coming. So I, I don't know exactly uh, how they improved on that. I hope they did because backs today have to be an overall player. You've got to be able to block, pass. You hear me talk about that all the time. A receiver's a receiver, but he's also a football player. you got to be able to block in every play. Everybody's a blocker. Everybody's a, a, a part of the football team on offense. So we didn't have a chance to see much of that on Saturday. And then, uh, do you think the the linemen are avoiding penalties like last year? They did look like they had. I think there was only one penalty on the offensive line in the scrimmage. But what what do you think about the penalty situation? Well, I tell you, that's nice not to see guys jumping off sides. It really is. If you remember, uh, and they had a lot of problems and and people jumping off sides and and all of that. Uh, there wasn't much motion in the. A scrimmage itself, there was a few people that needed help as far as getting lined up in the proper position. They kept it basically pretty basic, the entire scrimmage. But I think that's important. And again, it's how close the officials called the scrimmage. The umpire that was there, how close did he call holding? Was he told, uh, let him play? Uh, I don't know exactly uh, what the philosophy of it was, but normally... As a scrimmage that's going on, you want it called just as they were going to call it in the game, and I hope that's what they did. Otherwise, if you don't practice that way, you're going to get penalized during the game. So, uh, you know, there might have been a hold here and there that wasn't called. That that happens in every game. In fact, it's holding on every play. But as far as the illegal procedures and, and some of that, uh, we didn't see that on Saturday, which is good. Um, and then the last one about how do you think the return game is going? and uh, the kicking game, what have you seen from special teams there? Well, you know, as far as special teams, uh, Ryan, unless I left early, I didn't see much of special teams at all. Uh, they lined up and kicked a couple of field goals and and stuff during the game. But as far as kickoffs, kickoff returns, that wouldn't have been live anyway. I just hope they've improved in the kickoff, being able to go into the end zone for touchbacks and, and the coverages are good and, and people can't can, you know, return a punt or fair catch the ball and make sure you use your rules as far as when you catch a ball or when you don't catch a ball and in all of the above and your blocking's good where you don't get punts or field goals blocked. But I didn't have a chance to see that in full go at all. So that's something we're going to have to wait for the fall. But one thing I, I've noticed during the spring, and I don't know if you've noticed it, I'm obviously, you're there more than I am, I'm sure you have, that you don't see uh, uh, Becker, Coach, uh, John uh, Becker. Baxter. Becker? Is that his name? I forgot it. Blanked out. John, John Baxter, yeah. 
Baxter, yeah, well, help me out there. John Baxter uh, shift around like he did before. When he was there with uh, Sarkeesian, they'd line up and shift down and line up and shift down on extra points and all this and that. They were going for two points. People say, what are you doing? Why are you doing that? Well, I didn't see any of that in the spring. Maybe you saw it, but I didn't see any of that in the spring, and I'm glad I didn't see it. All right, Coach. Uh, Tarion had a question. He said, with the changes in the coaching staff, terms like new schemes and concentration on techniques is often mentioned or often mentioned by players and coaches. I understand the definition of schemes, but would you talk a little about what it's meant by uh different techniques uh thanks continue the the show's continue to be great from terry well let me tell you every coach has his little special ways of teaching pass blocking run blocking all the different things pass rush all the little secrets that he's had along his career as a player and a coach they they do the ways they feel you can get it done better as far as the way you step the way you stand your arms or the way you come under with your power rush or start a direction and come back the other way, depending what position you teach and coach with your receiver or defensive back. And you have a little different techniques that every coach has. Uh, uh, there isn't just one standard way of doing everything. So, you know, on the offensive line, Callaway's got his way of doing things and his way of teaching things and expects it to be exactly that way. So far, it seemed to be be accepted positively the coaches the players feel good about it he has a different philosophy as far as who's starting i mean he's he's going to rotate his players around and i think his philosophy is i'm going to have the best five guys on the field no matter what the combination is and i think that players want that respect that and i think they've tried to do that in the past but he might have a different way of evaluating his players on who are going to start and what they do at what position and so on so uh, there's different techniques. Uh, the schemes are basically the same as far as uh, what you're doing, zone read and all these different blocks. It's just how you perform and how you pick up stunts and how you pick up, come off one guy and go to the next guy and how you finish a block. And are, are you blocking space? What you don't want to see is block, uh, offensive linemen blocking space, which means they come off somebody and they have nobody. They just they, they didn't pick up who they were supposed to pick up or they blocked the wrong person which means somebody's free. So there's different ways that you teach that, and I think you teach that by going live. I don't think you ever teach that a lot. By just going half speed and walking through it all the time. Now, I know I understand the walkthrough process. I understand walking through everything. Believe me, I do. But there's nothing like doing things full speed because you've got to learn to react. You don't think when you're going full speed on half-line, full-line scrimmages against the defense on different stunts and different things and the penetration that defense tries to get against your scheme. So you've got to work a lot against the offensive defensive lines together and making that happen. And also with the linebackers and picking up linebackers, going to gaps, and you being able to pick them up when they come through and be square as an offensive lineman or the linebacker getting penetration to get through into the backfield to make the player make the tackle and not getting contained or not held but blocked with back and go by him. So you got to be responsible for your gaps. So you can't get enough of that over and over and over and over of all the repetitions that you repetitions that you have to do. And the same with the running backs, trying to find that little seam. You're not going to have a big seam. You got to be able to burst through the hole that you have there, break a few tackles, arm tackles, and get into the secondary. And the first guy that blocks you, you got to beat his block. You've got to be able to knock him down. You beat the first free guy block. 
Can't let the guy always make the tackle in the in the secondary. So you go over and over and over, and you go through these things over and over and over. And see, I'm the type of guy that believes in physical type of practices. I'm the guy that believes that you learn only learn how to play the football game by playing the game of football, not necessarily talking about it or walking through it or watching it on film. The only way you correct things is by able to hit a live target. So I think that coaches uh, and coverages and so on always teach their technique the way they felt when they played it what best way they felt that they got away with things and did things and they teach that to the players and every coach is different i mean every coach has there's some coaches that are yellers there's some coaches that don't say anything but you've got to have an enforcer on your staff you've got to have normally an offensive and a defensive enforcer that when he bellows his voice you know that uh oh he's here he comes because he expects everything to be absolutely perfect. Uh, all right, let's go. We got Johnny from Rose Hills, California. He says, I don't understand why Clay continues to allow his players to come out on game days with untucked T-shirts. It looks so sloppy. I was. Uh, it was not just a spring game. This has been more apparent the last few years. It certainly does not send a positive message to future recruits and or their families watching the game. I don't see this from any other program in the country from afar. It kind of seems like the coaching staff does not have a tight grip on their players. I don't know. Maybe I'm overreacting. I guess it's just my turn to rant your thoughts. Uh, Johnny from Rose Hills, California. Well, Johnny, you're a man after my own heart, man. I believe if you don't can't look good, how do you play good? Do you dress sloppily when you go to the prom? Do you dress sloppily when you get married? Uh, you, you, you know, you're supposed to look pretty good. You're going to a special event. And I always have been a guy that you wear your socks so high, we all wear the same color shoes, we all tuck our jerseys in, or we all leave them out. I mean, I'm not saying that what way, but they, now they have these uh, tailored jerseys that really are out, but just go down right to the pants line where they're not tucked in, but they give you a little bit more freedom, but they're all the same and everybody's wearing the same. I don't understand that. I just do not understand why you can be a sloppy-looking football team. And if you're a sloppy-looking football team, I think you lose the pride in what it's all about. And a lot of time, players today want their identity on what they wear, how they wear their hat, how they wear their pants, how they wear their knee pads, how they wear their socks, how they wear their shoes, how they wear these little things around their biceps so that their arms flex, all these little personal things for identification of who they are and what they do and, and all this and that. I'm not a guy for that, okay? We're all a team, you know? You've heard me talk about Team Me t-shirts. You've heard me talk about all of that. And I think that uh, when you let individual things go by, uh, then you're allowing the termites to eat away the program. And I think that you have to maintain a standard of what's expected as far as how you look, how you present yourself uh, as a football player, and how you act as a football player, and how you play as a football player. And I think it all starts with how you put a football uniform on and how you represent your university. Uh, I think you noticed this, too, when you watched the other scrimmages that happened this past weekend. Everybody was perfectly dressed. Everybody was in their game jerseys in most cases. And everybody uh, had their, you know, things in order. Uh, I think that's very important. You even saw head coaches like Nick Saban. He wore a suit, not a suit, sports coat and tie, like it's a formal affair, like it's a dinner event or whatever it might be at Alabama. You see different types of attire, what the importance is as far as to their program. Myself, I'm one that 
is very big of a stickler on that. I've said, sent a whole team in before or told the equipment guy, these socks these kids are wearing are not the type of socks that are the quality. Throw these socks all away and bring out new socks. I want them all to be the best of equipment and look the best at all times. Polished helmets, every single thing, polished shoes, everything that gives the pride of a, a football program. I believe that a football player does not leave the locker room. I've watched them all without looking in the mirror to see if they look sharp. And I don't agree with these white jerseys hanging out and all this and that. That's individualism. And I and I think we're all a team. And you got to wear everything the same. I believe in every single thing that you just said on that statement. Thank you very much for, for that, and I ditto it. We got another old school. Uh, yeah, for the record, I don't think recruits mind that shirts are tucked out <laughs> or not tucked in. So I don't think that's something recruits really care about. Um, but other people do, obviously. Dan from 1962, he says, thanks to you and all your guests. Uh, it's a great way to fill in the gaps for Trojan fans. He said in the 1950s, USC had a punter named Des Koch, who led the nation in punting. He was also an NCAA champion in the discus throw. Nowadays, the USC kicking game is almost like a second thought. What is the status of the kicking game this year, and why can't we get kickoffs into the end zone? Our opponents always seem to be starting uh, excuse me, around the 30-yard line. That's from Dan in 1962. Dan in 1962, how many times have you heard me talk about that? Of the whole nation, USC can't get a guy that kicks the ball out of the end zone? Tell me about that, would you please? You've heard me talk about that, and they have how many kickers? They probably have more kickers on scholarship. Well, they have two punters on scholarship. They have what? One, they just have one place kicker on scholarship now, right? Yeah, they're supposed to bring so in a blue shirt uh, in this fall, so that would be a second one. A second one, and you can't get and you can't get the ball in the end zone. And then again, how about on kickoffs after you score and the ball goes out of bounds? Oh my gosh, you wouldn't want to come out of bounds. You want, you'd but you'd stay over in the other team sideline if you were playing for me. You wouldn't come off. I'd I'd say all I ask you to do, and all you do all practice is kick the ball, and game day comes and you can't kick it in the field of play. Are you kidding me? You know, so, and or kick a field goal of 30 yards, that should be automatic. And I think at a program such as USC, you've got to emphasize that type of things. You've got to find those type of players, no matter where those players are, and they are just as important. What player do you know that you put in a game, either on an extra point or a field goal, that's supposed to score on every single play? What other position? They're in another position that's supposed to score on every single play. But on a field goal kicker, first of all, you don't put a field goal kicker in the game unless you expect him to make it from that distance in most cases, or you'd rather go for it. So you expect, you know, results from these kids. This is what they're on full scholarship for. Break down the number of field goals that they do in a game and then break down how much they get paid for doing it if you realize what the scholarship is worth. So, yeah, you expect excellence from these guys. And, you know, expect the guy to kick off a lot if your offense is scoring a lot. You know, you talk about returns. I, I told you that one day, the first uh, scrimmage that they had in uh, this spring, they spent 15 minutes on kickoff returns in the Coliseum. I said, man, if you're returning that many kickoffs, you're not going to win anyway. So, <laughs> you know, you know what I mean? You want to be good at what you do, especially in the special teams. And I agree 100%. I have talked about that a thousand times as far as having – great special teams as far as punters and kickers as far as relying on them to be able to get done what they're supposed to do all right coach we got one last one for you from troy 75 
He said, spring camp was 15 days spread over several weeks. My question is, what do the players do between those 15 practices? Do they hit the weight room, do extra running and other conditioning, spread out like it is, unless they're training between practice days, it seems it wasn't that rigorous. Is there more to spring camp than we, the public, know about? Thanks from Troy. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Go ahead, Ryan. Yeah, so thanks from Troy75. And just to let people know, USC actually spreads out those 15 practices over six weeks. So they did one week on, three days a week, and then a week off for spring break, and then uh, four more weeks of three practices per week. Um, UCLA is doing a more condensed thing where they're having four practices a week. Other programs kind of do that too. It's it's really, you can have 15 practices, but different uh, programs spread it out more than others. So it just depends. USC is one that kind of spreads it out quite a bit. Um, so yeah, just kind of let people know that. Coach. Well, um, there's a lot that goes on. Believe me, you do lift weights. You, you do conditioning. You do rehab. You still have all your academic work you have to do. I think you spend a lot of time on watching videotapes. You really do. By yourself in a lot of situations, you're only allowed so many hours to be coached during the spring or any time during the fall. They've got a lot of different rules. When I coached, you know, there wasn't any rules like that. You could go as long as you wanted with your meetings and off-season programming and all of the above. But players are required to do the study halls, all the things they have to do. It's a long day. It's a long season. It's not easy to be a student athlete. Then, now, any time, you have to compete every day on the football field, and you have to compete on the basketball court or whatever sport you play, and then you have to go in the classroom and compete against these guys that don't have all the activities that you have to do and compete in the academic side of it. And these guys in the classroom, they're all Americans in what they do, and that means get A's. So you got to go in there, and they set the curve, and you got to compete against them. So it's not easy for a student-athlete. Their day normally starts very early. And ends very late. Their day is programmed. Uh, uh, they have all the activities that they have to do. And uh, it's a demanding schedule. It's really a demanding schedule. So uh, they have weights. They have rehab. They have all the different things they have to do. It's study halls, study videos, do a lot of things. They, they, they don't have any time off, really, or social life much. The social life they have, Basically, it's probably in the late afternoons and evenings, early evenings, because they have to get up, of course, and go to practice. Now, in the fall, there isn't any social life at all, but you practice every single day and you have games. But in the spring, you have a little bit more of a social life activity because practices are normally every other day and then you have the weekends. All right, Coach. Well, great stuff. We went a little long, but we had a lot of uh, topics to get to and a lot of questions, so we appreciate everyone sending those in. And uh, thanks. We'll, we'll make sure we're going to do more podcasts this week. No more practice. So we'll have time to kind of recap it. Maybe I'll do a solo one. Maybe we'll get Keely on. We'll definitely get Dan Weber on. So we'll do more podcasts this week. But appreciate it, Coach, for coming on. Always good stuff. We look forward to talking to you again in the future. Thank you very much, Ryan. Another spring at uh, USC. And remember, I look at it very closely, not trying to mislead people, but I tell and try to tell you the honest the way of what I see out there and what the Trojans need to work at, you really never talk about things you don't need to work on. The good things you really just assume they're supposed to be there. So the things you look at are things you got to get better at. All right, Coach. Great stuff. Thanks so much. And everyone else, thank you very much for tuning in to the Peristyle Podcast. Again, we'll do more shows this week. Stay tuned. Peristylepodcast.com. Follow on iTunes, all that stuff. Thanks for tuning in, and we will talk to you next time. 
Tickets, tickets, tickets. SC Tickets is your concert, sports, and theater ticket source. We have the tickets you need to any event worldwide. Football tickets are now available. Call SC Tickets now at 1-800-888-7287. 1-800-888-7287. That's 1-800-888-7287. Or visit us on the web at sctickets.com. SC Tickets, concert, sports, and theater. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast, presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. Don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your smartphone or tablet for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store.